Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. Today's podcast guest is Sharoop Kareem. I know Sharoop through the Chicago comedy scene back when I used to stand on stage and tell jokes. Sharoop was and is way more hilarious than me. Um, and he is a really great human being. I'm pretty sure that you will get some kind of new understanding of what it's like to be a stand-up comedian in Chicago. And also, I think we have a really good conversation about um, how to grow community and what what it means to really love something and be all in on it. Also, if you happen to like this podcast, and I really hope that you like this show in general, please like and subscribe and share. Um, and if you ever are interested in working with me as your coach, I am happy to have a conversation with you. Hey, Sharoop, thanks for being on my podcast today. What up, Aaron? Thank you for having me. Um, so we know each other through the Chicago comedy scene, not super well. Uh, I've always found you to be a, a hilarious human being and just like a genuinely nice person. Um, <laughs> how would you, who are you <laughs> for other people <laughs> or to yourself? Uh, so in order to just encapsulate really who I am, I think, um, aside from just saying like a Chicago based comedian, <clears throat> uh, I would say, um, uh, I'm a performer slash writer who uh, enjoys um, sort of being involved in different uh, comedic projects. Um, a background on me is just really that I grew up in Oklahoma for most of my life. Uh, and then I moved to Chicago in 2010. And uh, since then, I didn't start comedy really until 2014. And um, in between that period, it was just a lot of like, um, doing stuff for college and just figuring out uh, really what I wanted to dedicate myself and dedicate myself to, and eventually it just came to the point where uh, comedy seemed like a more natural route because it was something that I not only enjoyed doing but the uh, the grind itself um, as uh, overwhelming and really uh, stressful it can be. Uh, it, it led to um, a sense of fulfillment um, in a way that I hadn't felt before with like other pursuits or um, employment in general. So um, coming out of that, I've, I've been able to really uh, establish myself, I would say in a decent, um, in a decent amount here in Chicago and just doing stuff on the road has helped out a lot. And um and now I'm just, you know, trying to take the next steps into something uh, bigger and better. Um, I'm so excited to hear about the next steps. 
And who are you outside of being a comedian? Outside of comedian, I I am a husband and uh, co dog owner. So that is that is part of like my other uh, recreation and just basic living is uh, spending time with my wife and dog and and uh, really just being someone who gets to enjoy that aspect of life Mm -hmm. in addition to performing because um, it's easy to get caught up really and in the whole pursuit of um, making it somewhere in comedy and just really anything you you want to do it's it's easy to just get lost in like either the uh, the drama or like um, the losses and just days where you feel like you're not getting anywhere and so um, they've both been a really great rock to me that I can just fall back on and uh, realize there's there's really so much more than just um, obsessing over you know the content of your of your material of your writing and uh, what lies ahead um, I adopted a puppy a few weeks ago <laughs> so oh I good kind of, yeah I kind of get it how hard was it for you to train your dog it was a little daunting at first I'm not gonna lie because this is my first pet so Okay. It was uh, it was all about like reading up on you know what you're supposed to do, what tricks and and um, warnings to to avoid kind of thing, and then uh, eventually I think once you once I got in the rhythm of it, um, and and both my wife and I we figured out like you know what the what our dog's into and like what works for her, um, and really really any animal was just a food-based sort of motivation <laughs> system like that's 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 the whole game right there is like if you can convince your dog that you know they, if they do something and they get rewarded with nourishment or like just a, a, like a snack or something then you can you can pretty much train them to do really whatever you're trying to uh t- t- to do with them so yeah. at first <laughs> it, it can be challenging i mean I, I don't know how how it's been for you but i would say you, you'll it's it it actually um becomes something that you just see right before you and that that their development Mm -hmm. i have found so my neighbors below me have a a puppy too that's like a couple months older than my dog and like 30 pounds heavier and Uh (laughs) my whole goal is like how can i make this puppy have enough fun where she doesn't pee everywhere (laughs) That's yeah. That's part of the objective. I mean, like in the beginning, it's 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 uh, it's not like oh, can you do any tricks? Can you sit and fetch or anything? Can you just not shit on the floor? Like, let's yeah, start like, with that and work our way. Yeah, <laughs> work our way to more uh, advanced, yeah, advanced uh, tricks and and whatnot. What kind of uh, puppy did you get? She's like a lab, I think, border collie pit mix. Um, oh, I'm going to have okay. to do one of those DNA tests because everyone's like, what is she? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> is so she clo- Italian? Does she have any? <laughs> this is the know, closest she... I've come to racism. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, we, we have uh, a, a mix. Um, she is half Australian cattle dog and half <sighs> pit bull. Oh, my God. How much energy does that dog have? A lot, a lot. She, she will, she, she loves just going on sprints when, uh, when we go on walks, it's, it's not really walking or it's just going on a, uh, unplanned jog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, she's really chill too. Like the rest of the time, her, 
her one of her favorite pastimes is just sleeping. So um, there's always like routinely every night she'll she'll just chill on the couch and like have a pre uh, bedtime nap right after dinner, <laughs> and then like yeah. a post breakfast nap in the morning, and like sprinkle in with some afternoon naps here and there. So it basically yeah. sounds like a comedian's life. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's something that a comedian would like to aspire to because, you know, if, if you have the day job, you can't, you can't, can't pull like an, yeah, you can't pull an eight hour nap shift. You gotta, you gotta work your way to just, you know, that nighttime schedule of a couple hours and then the rest of the day you're just unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your dream? Is your dream to live your dog's life or? Sure, that that would be. I I think that would be golden. Just um, this, you know, just napping and snacking and um, defecating without any sort of consequences or uh, legal action. Um, but also not having to worry about rent or bills. You know, that's I, that's euphoria. I think that's 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 the pinnacle of uh, of anybody's uh, life life goal. Uh, no, but for me, I've. I would love to perform regularly, um, either as a uh, you know, touring touring comedian is is something that we we all throw around. But um, in order to like sort of gain that position and be able to comfortably uh, tour, I think that's that's a little overtly ambitious i would say for a lot of us and um if you know if that's something that's not feasible uh then definitely to be a a full-time writer for either um you know like a tv show would be would be pretty pretty awesome um or some in some format another where I'm, i'm able to um create content almost on a daily or weekly basis uh, that mm-hmm. that supports raising a family, and um, aside from that, I think there's there's really nothing else that you could actually you would want to achieve because you know what 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 else is there? Because if you reach that point where you know you are touring and you are doing like um, all these events and um, clubs that you just dreamed of when you started out, if you don't have that uh, that base of like either a family or um, if, if, if anybody around you to kind of share that that wealth or like that success with, I think that then you're just still you're chasing you're chasing nothing. And to me, mm-hmm. I would, you know, that's that would be when I I would say I'm, I've made something for myself in this uh, in this passion that I committed myself to six years ago. Yeah. So I picked up on this idea of something being overly ambitious. Why? What makes being a touring comedian overly ambitious? It to me, it's overly ambitious just because of uh, of what you have to sort of shift around in order to get to that point. I know it's. Uh, uh, to be able, because you, first of all, you have to establish that sort of trust with uh, people that would want to come out to see you, uh, as well as people that would book you to 
to perform at their venue. And um, creating that trust is, uh, it, it takes almost almost a decade of, uh, of toil and like just, uh, you know, getting up and failing and really crafting your 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 voice uh, as you know or like crafting your style and delivery and that whole persona that people would come out to see because i've learned that for a lot of uh for a lot of bookers and for anybody producing comedy they want they want to be able to sell something and it's not just they're not just selling a person's jokes or their material they're selling that persona that they have because people that don't really understand or have never seen live comedy before, they want to come out and see that persona in person. Mm -hmm. So that's the ambitious part is just being able to really craft that in a way where you don't lose your mind. Like you don't become a complete um, almost lunatic in like chasing them because there's, there's so much, uh, as you know, that, that, that goes into it. Yeah. How real is your stage persona? It's, I would say it is, um, it's, it's hard to really say because I don't know what my persona is when, when compare, when I compare like maybe even three or four years from now, mm-hmm. um, when I started out, my persona was just, you know, getting on stage and not just completely disappointing <laughs> myself in the room like that that was the persona we were working with and and don't, we still don't have feel that. me <laughs> we still have that but um i would say now it's more of um um i'm able to really challenge sorry not challenge uh, channel able to challenge uh, channel a uh, a sense of of uh, comfort where like you know if i if i'm losing somebody in the audience or if like i hear somebody unintentionally heckle me I don't get lost or distracted in what they're what they're saying or what they're doing I'm like I can either like use it to my advantage or just completely ignore it so from that I'm able to uh, I feel like I've gotten more comfortable on stage with that Um, whether or not I've developed that persona I think um, that is uh, that is still to be determined because I, you know what I'm doing now on stage probably might not be the same you know in a couple of years so we're well, getting think- to a point yeah where I'm going to have something more uh, def- define that you can define but yeah. Um, yeah who do you admire like comedian or artist or who do you aspire to be like uh, comedians wise I would say. Um, a lot of my role models would definitely be uh, comics like uh, Roy Wood Jr., uh, Gary Goleman, uh, Michelle Wolf. Um, comics that you can you can tell that they they not only uh, put in the work, um, but they're also they seem like they're always there to kind of assist uh, younger comics or comics that are just still trying to find their their foothold. Um, and you know, they don't shy away from, from being a mentor or, or someone that, um, would be there to kind of guide these comics in the right direction sort of thing. And 
I think like over the years, that's really who I've gravitated towards mostly and uh, not just comedy, but like uh, people in other industries are, are those that not only, of course, put in the time and effort over over several years or even decades, um, they're they're likable in person where, you know, you don't feel intimidated um, once you get to have a conversation with them. You'll still be intimidated because, oh, my God, this is fucking you know, this is, if, uh, if, if Anthony Bourdain was still around and you, know, you got to meet him, it would be like, oh man, like, this is, this is amazing. This is surreal. But after maybe like halfway through a sandwich with him, you're like, this is, this is nice. Like, this is not something yeah. that I would have, uh, I would have felt too, too scared to do with him. So I have two questions. The first question is why is comedy important? Why does it matter? I, to me, it, it it matters in just in the fact that it's something that it's sort of like this mystical uh, attribute or like mystical characteristic of of humans, I guess, in a way that um, that, it, that you can't really define to somebody who doesn't who doesn't really possess. Um, a sense of humor, I guess, you know, it's like not even to like another person, but even in like, in like a whole different universe or in a whole different realm, you can't really describe what humor is. And to be able to really engage in that, I, it, it seems to me like that's, that's an invaluable thing um, that, that can really connect a lot of us mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that, we, we, of course, if you don't share the same viewpoints um, or the s- same sort of philosophies on a lot of things, at least you can, you can laugh at the same dick joke. You know, it's like, it, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to describe. Like comedy is that thing where it's, you know, if you try to be, if you try to even put any theology behind it, it just, you just sound just, you you sound like you don't know really what you're talking about. Like, cause there's, there's so much to it. And for me, it's like, I, I want to say that it's important to be able to have that and to like really mm-hmm. kind of share it on any, any level from like the very basic um, exchange over, over like a, uh, a conversation with a, with a, with a friend or a, or a coworker all the way up to, you know, from, from the, from the stage presence kind of thing. So it's like, it, 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 it just surpasses so many different uh, levels of human interaction that I've, I've grown to really appreciate. Yeah. For me, yeah. comedy always felt like, I just kind of imagine the universe being a, a bunch of silver energy strings, like, you know, like one of those yeah. balls where you put your hands on it and it moves around like that. And comedy always felt like tapping into one of those energy streams. And sometimes it was like a big energy stream with a lot of people. And sometimes it's like just one person. But the, but you get a spark in in either way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's something, it feels weird and almost comical to, 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 to say like, Oh, this is, this is an important thing that you should cherish. And and uh, really make the most of if you get 
the chance to either experience it or mm-hmm. uh, serve it yourself kind of thing and uh, rest of the time if you if, if you're if you're actually there you're like okay you know this is this is what i was talking about this is this is that that ball of that ball of <laughs> that, those things with the those things, things yeah, with the, yeah. <laughs> um i think i don't know about you but one of the other things that i value about comedy is how it allows people to speak truth mm-hmm. and be heard i think a lot right. of times like we just don't feel like we get to be heard but if somebody laughs you know they heard you <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a uh, it, that's the other aspect is just that it's a platform where you can in, you can you can influence a lot of people at the same time mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you should be the person doing that i mean that's always up for debate <laughs> um, you know like it's where then it comes down to that fine line and, and that huge asterisk where it's like at the end of the day it's it's, it's comedy so um, don't take from this what you should an actual person that is an expert in these things um, but yeah I, 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 I wholly agree that it's something that um, you can use to really teach others about either a whole a completely different uh, way of life or a completely different uh, culture and it's a, it's a definitely a teaching moment if you if you can get them to laugh because at that point you know they're they're willing to learn about whatever you want to say to them mm-hmm. yeah totally my second question is related but it goes back to what you were saying about Michelle Wolf and Roy Wood Jr. What is important to you about people being willing to be a mentor? That's important to me because uh, you always would want somebody to to look after. Because I, for for me personally, I I always felt like when I'm stuck in certain situations or uh, if I'm having trouble figuring something out, um, if having a mentor is, is very crucial in like pointing out things that don't matter versus things that should matter. So, you know, if, if you don't have somebody to differentiate, you know, why am I not going up enough or getting enough stage time or, um, I'm not getting booked at this venue versus the other. Uh, a mentor would be there to say, like, "Hey, I've been in that spot before, and you're worrying about all the wrong things because this none of this is going to matter mm-hmm. by the time um, by the time you you get to like where I am, or if you if you're in this long enough um, as I have, you're going to realize that." what you've obsessed about and like what you worried about was, was a drop in the bucket of something um, that you had more potential for in the long run. I hate, so, to, yeah. I hate to break it to you, but as somebody who works with people on this stuff all the time, you're going to still worry about that stuff. It's just right, right. on a different scale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're going to find something else to worry about. So it, that, that doesn't eliminate the anxiety at all. No. Um, but having, having that sort of, um, sort of that person to, to to point you in that direction 
uh, I, I would say it would really cut down on a lot of uh, wasted effort on mm-hmm. other things. And, you know, it, it's, it'll definitely shift your, your perspective as well. Yeah. So if you are going to be the, ne- the next Michelle Wolf slash Roy Wood Jr., what are the steps? That's already problematic, I think, if you're... <laughs> gender is a spectrum. No, I was no, I was not talking about gender. I was talking about like a white woman talking like a black dude on stage. <laughs> That's what I pictured when you were like the next Michelle Wolf, Roy Wood combo. Like, wait, I was are we just there yet? Imagining you living into the vision of people you admire. That's all. <laughs> right, right. No, I... But if you're making if you're making Roy Wood Jr. Michelle Wolf babies in your head, then that's a that's a totally different conversation. <laughs> Anyway, the question is like, what's the gap for you between here and there? The gap, I would say it it all comes down to just being, I would pretty much being in the right place at the right time, I want to say. That puts a whole lot up to look. I don't believe that for a second. (laughs) Because, you know, like the the, the work is still there. The work is always going to be there. to me, it's never going to change depending on whether you're a, a small town comedian or a, or a touring headliner. Uh, the work should always be there. You're always having, you, you're always going to have to put in um, the grind. And um, you're, you're always, I mean, at this stage, it's like, you know, I don't want to generate more material. I want to craft that sort of hour special if, if, you, if I ever get to it kind of thing. And then when you get into the more like the uh, the big leagues, you have to consistently sort of generate new content because you have that fan base that will not only you know subscribe and like purchase your merchandise, they're going to come out in hopes of seeing new material. So the the mm-hmm. the, um, the work will always be there. It just depends on to me personally being lucky enough to either like be on a show where somebody else sees me or like I get to network with someone that knows someone else that is on the mailing list of someone that would have me open for them kind of thing. So that, that to me is what creates the gap. I I think one of the things people don't talk about in comedy a lot is just how much of it is your network. Like there's yeah. a lot of this yeah. idea that you, if you're funny, you should make it. And it totally takes apart the, takes away from the, if you're an asshole, people don't want to work with you. It really does. It it really, it muddles both, uh, both areas. And it's like, it's not even a Venn diagram. It's, it's <laughs> like a, uh, it's a four dimensional sphere with like webs pointing on different directions because yeah, like you said, it's you can be an asshole and just become an almost an overnight sensation. Yeah. But because being an asshole that still you you know, you, you still does like decent comedy, you're gonna be on a lot of people's radars because they they were they couldn't really look away kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh versus uh like somebody who's extremely introverted. Um and is like just an exceptional writer and like has a great voice and is like, you know, able to really 
tap into that uh, to that stage presence if they don't go out and like force themselves to interact with um, comics or gatekeepers, then they'll have a harder time getting that same spot. Well, in my experience, those people just quit. <laughs> really? like, there's some really yeah, funny yeah. people who just quit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I would, uh, I, I said really, because, you know, it, it doesn't seem like, I was thinking of like, you know, what the percentage of introverted uh, comedians are that just, you know, kind of drop out because they don't really see that sort of uh, connection with, um, with the industry or with like other more successful comics around them. Mm. What do you like, what do you wish people knew about you? That they don't know yet. (laughs) I'm funny. Excuse me, everybody. I'm hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So I start all my sets now. It's actually, I would, I dare you to start a set that way. (laughs) Let me know how it goes. It sets the bar unbelievably high because then you're like, oh God, what did I just do? No. Um, (laughs) I I would want, I would just want others to know that I'm like, I'm easy to work with and, and, um, you know, not just, not just somebody who will be around to, to put in the work or like at least, um, deliver something of, of quality or that they believe is quality is that, um, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty easy going that I'm not somebody who they should feel, not intimidated by, but I'm saying like they shouldn't feel um, like it's going to be a struggle to get to know me kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I've never really held that to either any other comic or person that I come across that I don't uh, get to know right off the bat or like get to talk to. But I feel like if they knew that about me, then it wouldn't, it would just be like an easier experience of like, um, getting 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 off to the right uh, sorry uh getting off on the right foot kind of thing and you don't have to like kind of go through like a year or two wondering or if that person is somebody that you know is easy to talk to and eventually when you do meet them it's like oh well i don't know why it took so long for us to for us to meet kind of thing mm. who do you get that from like do you have the experience where people are like oh you're actually cool <laughs> <laughs> I did I did in the past. Like I can't remember exactly when that happened um in comedy, but I I remember this like in high school. It was, you know, when I got to eventually um have a conversation with somebody that just never approached me or I didn't approach them kind of thing. It was just it was that sort of exchange where like, oh, you know, you're 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 a lot cooler than I thought you were. I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that was uh that was a, a hurdle you had to uh, overcome. I used to get that too. It's kind of mean. It's like a backhanded compliment. Like, it, yeah, it is. Yeah, and you're like, well, if you think that way about me, how how many others, you know, have that same uh, same impression? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to carry myself that way. But then again, I don't want to. You know, I'm not that type of person to really 
push myself out there and really get in people's faces is like, boom, here's, here's me, you know, um, take it or leave it. Do you think that you have to be that way in order to become the touring comedian you want to become? Almost. Yeah. I would say more often than not, you really have to, you have to be super likable. It, Mm -hmm. It really, uh, super likable, almost very outgoing just to um, uh, just to open doors because you could you know you 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 don't always have to be that way but that all depends on how much of a buzz you create if you um, you know if you become uh, quite well known by others for um, for how good you are in your talent then you know you could you could be that soft-spoken asshole and mm-hmm. and and but still be on other people's uh radars because they've heard of you and they know how you are and they're okay with you know what little you have to bring to an actual conversation because <laughs> when they put you up there they know you know you're gonna deliver so what is your strategy gonna be if this, if what I'm doing doesn't work now. Well, what is the strategy you're currently doing? <laughs> the strategy, I'm, what I'm currently doing, um, it's, it's, it's like, it's not really tactical in any sense. Where I'm like, you know, I'm sitting down and uh, putting together like a spreadsheet of like who to contact or like where to reach out to or like what you know, and then like meticulously going through that list and crossing things off kind of thing um of course with the pandemic that that did just completely um put all of this into um uncertainty and like just um destabilized everyone's sort of path i would say for me uh, for me personally it was just i i felt like before the pandemic i had a rhythm going of like performing and really growing my my material um that i could like at least have some objective in mind for either that year or the upcoming year of like you know doing more headlining spots or like at least have uh, have it in mind if i if i ever want to record anything um but you know after the pandemic hit it was like okay well how do we how do we get back to that rhythm how do we um go back to having a very clear objective in mind that I can actually work towards. And so right now is, is basically getting my feet back in and trying to reestablish myself uh, in Chicago, but also um, have enough going on outside uh, of the city that I can, I can get back into that, into that mode. Mm -hmm. Do you have any um, plans to move? As of now, no. Um, before before I, I started dating my wife and um, had that whole evolution of my life, uh, I had you know that that common aspiration as other comics do of either moving to the west or east coast of L.A. or New York, and um, after. I was able to like sort of get my get my rhythm going in Chicago. I realized that that was 
that was not a surefire way of really making it. That, you know, you could do that. I, I would say at, at a young enough age, if you have really nothing established or, you know, if you don't have like a steady job that you're decently comfortable with, then definitely make that move because uh, you can grow a lot in, in those, uh, in those cities. Um, but at some point I, you know, we were talking about if we do move, uh, what would be like a more affordable city to, to like raise a family or like, um, almost like maybe own a home kind of thing. Um, but also where I could grow as a comic, you know, Mm -hmm. just still be connected to some sort of scene and, um, be able to perform at a club and um, work that sort of uh, that in- incline. Uh, so yeah, and maybe down the road um, might make a move if if it uh, if it comes to that. But uh, aside from any anything that doesn't pick me up as like a full time salaried writer, um, I I would be still st- staying in Chicago and doing stuff here. I always like when I, I don't do comedy that much. I don't do comedy at all anymore. Who am I kidding? Yeah. <laughs> like, when was the last it, time you performed? Oh God. 2019. 2019. Uh, where was it? I don't remember. <laughs> it might've even, it might've even. Is it a fever been, dream? It might've even been in like Madison in 2018. Madison uh, at state. Yeah, no, for the Lady Laughs Comedy Festival that Dina Martinez puts up. Oh, nice. Um, it was probably the open mic I used to run. Like, if I did a set, the last one was probably there at the Riff. Um, at the Riff? Oh, yeah, Gallery Cabaret? Well, it was at Gallery Cabaret. Then it went to the Bowling Alley, and then it went to... Oh, that's right, that's right. And then it went to Emerald City, which was super convenient for me because it was, like, right down the street from my house. Um, didn't it do like a short stint at um, Revival, or was that? Oh, it another... did. It did. I think um, Sabine another... had it. Yeah, I was thinking it either. You know, it was there, or it was a spinoff, or something like that. Yeah, an affiliate, a, uh, a local affiliate of the. Of I mean, the it's it's actually a great show. I it pro- I would probably do everyone a lot of good to bring a show like that back. Just... Yes, I. I always wanted to check it out and I think it, it was, uh, it seemed intimidating to me to, was, uh, yeah. It was the only way I could write, like, give me something to talk about. I can probably talk about anything. Right. Right. But if I have to figure out what you, what to talk about, I freeze. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have words. Words are, words are crazy. Words don't exist. <laughs> Yeah, this is just throw throw ideas at me on stage, and and I'll I'll make something out of it. That was yeah. That was the that was the, the dream right there. It was it was I loved doing that show. I loved hosting it. I loved it was one of those shows that a lot of new comics or like mics that a lot of new comics would come to. Mm-hmm. So it felt like I got to know people like mm-hmm. as people, not their comedic persona. Right. Right. Um, which I always really liked. And then after a while, I got tired of trying to make things up. So I brought like tarot cards there and I would like, tell people what this card meant. And I'm like, now do a set. <laughs> do you so, miss that? I do. 
One of the things that I really loved about doing comedy in Chicago was that the network of women I worked with Mm -hmm. were all super supportive. Like I know that people talk about the, how cutthroat people can be, Mm -hmm. but in my experience, women comedians in Chicago were very supportive of anyone who is not a white man. Yeah. I I noticed that myself. It was, uh, it was like a community that you wish you were part of um, Mm -hmm. being a dude. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you can be adopted. (laughs) Right. right. No, I've, uh, I've, that's what I've come across is that um, it it fosters a whole different uh, environment of, of support and, it's not something that I, I I came across easily when I started out, uh, just because I was I didn't know any anybody in the comedy scene, mm-hmm. and so meeting people that would uh, be encouraging to uh, to either like see you again or like kind of uh, work with you on your on your bits that was um, that didn't come till later once I really figured figured out like who I I was able to like either get to know the, the most and uh, get get along with and uh, that that didn't really come easily in the beginning yeah I think that there's like one of I mean I don't want to be men are all and women are all but I do think that women have a different style of leadership that yeah for sure it, it's more of a rising tide lifts all boats version of leadership than it is mm-hmm. like cutthroat me or you yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with that because with uh, with male comedians they tend to either be more of a lone wolf or so many subs- lone wolves so. <laughs> or subscribe themselves to like a a clique that they feel most comfortable with and that is that is the only group of people that they'll only that they'll associate and be around. Well, you know who's who everyone's friends are because whenever they put on a show, it's the same fifteen people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, that's it's it's something, of course, that that was frustrating along the way, and it still is when you when you know you can't you want to grow as a comic. You're like, to me, like one of the most important things to uh, to really make sure others know about you is that you're willing to grow. Mm-hmm. And you're not just there dicking around and like just for social reasons. Like once, you know, I, I, I hope that like once people know that you're, you're willing to improve either um, your, your jokes or like who you are as a performer, then they'll at least give you that opportunity to do so and, um, and kind of like help you along the way. And, so, and when you see those same lineups and the same people, you're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be there or how do I even crack this door open to to mm-hmm. be in that spot? Who do you, like, how do you know somebody is willing to grow? Uh, well, I mean, one way you'll see them at Mike's um, not only, you know, working on new material, but you'll notice tweaks that they've made in older jokes or uh, stuff that you've seen them do at other mics. Uh, to me, that's a great example of like, okay, this person's really, I mean, they're, they're growing visually and like, mm-hmm. um, and you can, and you can hear, uh, all the little changes they made. And, um, the other way I would say is that, um, they've, 
their their social circles have changed you know they're like who you who they were hanging out with in the beginning in the scene is completely different to who they are now and it's and it's like a huge positive change because it's like okay well you're actually putting yourself out there to meet different comics and like you're looking out for comics that don't that don't really get booked that often and like and it's like uh, like more the marginalized sort of um, communities of performers that don't get that same chance as the people that they hung out with before. So that's another way to me that shows that there's considerable growth. Do you go to Kohl's? Yes, I, I did go to Kohl's and it was not as often as I, I as it should have because, you know, Kohl's seemed like it was a good, it was a good way to really foster a lot of uh networks and like um really get your face seen in front of um other veteran comics and um show producers and so when i did go like maybe the last few times it was yeah it was definitely exhilarating to go up in front of a uh, pack room it was like almost the equivalent of like uh chicago's version of the uh the, the uh, comedy on state Mm-hmm. clubs open mic mm-hmm. they're like they'll have a full room of just non-comics on like a wednesday night open mic and i was blown away by that when i've only been there once but i was blown away by that and and i would say coles is able to recreate that on the same on the same uh, day of the week the thing that i i never went to coles and there are a couple of reasons one because the rules of getting up on stage at Kohl's seemed so ridiculous. (laughs) And I was a lawyer back then when I was doing more comedy, like I was working a full-time job, starting this business, trying to date (laughs) and like have relationships Mm -hmm. with other Mm -hmm. human beings, Mm -hmm. stay healthy and like run a home. I mean, it's just my home, but you know, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, enjoy your home. Yeah. I don't want to come home to a shithole. Yeah. Like, a clean space to me is peaceful. And I very much work hard to keep my peace. Mm-hmm. And aside, I hated this. Like, you have to be there by 530. If you leave, you lose your spot. So you will that, be excommunicated from this bar. From the, from the Chicago yeah. comedy community. If you leave, it will cold. ostracize you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, this is this that's like five hours of billable time that I was like, yeah, oh. you think of it in like uh, l- lawyer terms, you're like this is this is complete it's a complete waste of time if you know I even if you're if you tell yourself like, oh, I'm gonna be there, i'm gonna I'm gonna write and like work on material that I'm gonna perform it's like no, that's complete bullshit. You just end up digging around and digging around or half the time you're like, why why am I? here five hours early like it just it it doesn't become productive at all like i've never not once maybe you know to the couple of um exemptions exceptions to to what i'm saying is like they you know they actually were able to find a corner or like just be in the dark somewhere in the back and just like you know chop out a few a uh, few bits to to, mm-hmm. to do it later that night but i think the majority of people are just there to you know, get to know somebody or like catch up and just 
talk shit about the rest of the comics. It's mostly scene. it's mostly drinking and talking shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that was the other thing for me with comedy, the lifestyle of it, like being in bars five nights a week started to yeah. feel depressing. I was like, Ugh, the idea of going and sitting there sounds terrible. It it breaks you down. Yeah. And whether or not you're uh if if you're a social drinker or if you're um if you're somebody who who can't afford that sort of lifestyle of giving back to the venue you know it's it, it'll it'll definitely break you down and that that to me was one of the the biggest obstacles is to like you know if you if you're going to grind how the hell do you grind mm-hmm. uh, if you a if you don't have a car and uh, and b you don't have um the if you don't have the funds to to buy a drink or you know wherever wherever you go god there's there's all these little tiny things that keep people out and if you for were, good reason yeah what would you change like what's the one thing that you would fundamentally shift about the the system this ad hoc non-existent but very real system uh in a way i would i I would want to implement more of a like a hierarchy of of comedic levels i think it's not going to be clear cut of course but if you can establish the way a lot of uh, graduate schools do you know in their in the scope of their uh, of their uh, study or of their uh, of their focus on, on uh, you know what what those uh, graduates are are getting a degree in, there's always levels to to uh, to that, and and of course like you know Second City and um, IO did have those levels where like oh you graduate level one and level two and level three and then you can audition for main stage. I would say stand-up would benefit greatly from that kind of um, concise system. And, mm. you know, like the level oneers definitely, ha- you know, have them come out to like the bars and like have nights that are just for comics starting out or they're only like a year into, uh, into, into doing it. And then like for performers that are more, more seasoned and um, they have an opportunity to do showcases to, to do new material only or showcases where um, they get to try out stuff that wasn't working before, but they think works now. And so eventually, you know, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) which turns out to be most of it. Eventually, you know, you can audition for main stage and you can Mm -hmm. audition or like a weekend at the Laugh Factory kind of thing, or like a guest spot at Zany's. You know, it's just having to go back and forth between uh, like the the low level bar scene and like throw yourself at like nights that just end up being a complete waste of time. It's just, I think over over the course of like a few years, that'll be enough to push you out. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I've I've like I've done so much and like I'm exhausted mentally and like physically bringing myself to these to these bars and venues that just don't 
they don't really give me that shred of respect to push me to that next level. Yeah. I think I might've given up a little too prematurely, but also I just didn't want it enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that desire, sometimes it's the desire is delusion and like thinking that you're, you know, you're enjoying it enough where you want to keep, keep going at it. But uh, at the same time, I think if you don't, if you can't find a moment of like of joy and excitement that you can, you can at least hold on to and be like, all right, this is, this made this whole shitty week worth it kind of thing. So Um, what does that, what does that moment feel like for you? Like, how do you, that moment is being on like a show that um, where you're performing to a regular audience and, it's not just like eight other, you know, it's a, it's a room of 10 people and nine of them are just comics that came out to be on the show kind of thing. I mean, like a regular room uh, of like normal people and you go out and you have a good set. I think that's, that's all it takes to tell you like, all right, I, I, those, those two or three nights, right. I just felt like a complete failure at Kohl's. You know, it's just, this is this made it worthwhile and you you know eventually it becomes like being at that club level where you get to do a whole weekend and and that's more than enough to to remind you like okay i can actually enjoy this and find fulfillment yeah well we're coming up on time and i have two questions the first question Mm -hmm. is what support do you need Support, I would say, directly would be somebody that is already more accomplished than I am and really sees potential in me and wants to um, wants to kind of boost me in that direction. Um, not specifically like, you know, putting me in front of other bookers, but like at least giving me uh, tips on what to do or like how to um, get to where they are. So um, yeah. who, who is the person you have in mind? Well, I mean, I would say, uh, like Roy Wood Jr. You know, like, <laughs> you know, that, that hey, would, Roy. that would be a trick. Hey Roy, you know, you've never you know met him? me before. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. You've never heard of me until just now when I told you my name. Um, and I'll just accosted send- you in the streets, <laughs> <laughs> but more locally, I would say, you know, comics that, that have gotten, they've been able to like run their own shows at like comedy bar or, or at Zany's. Like if they, if they, if they are able to put me up and at least give me a spot on that show, I think mm-hmm. that would be, that would be a reasonable level of support that I would, I would just be honestly grateful for. So um, I think that's, that's more attainable than Roy Roy Wood Jr. at this time, at this point in time. I mean, the universe works in mysterious ways. And my assertion is that because you said this within the next year, something like that will happen. There you go. Put it, put it out there. Um, It's that ball of energy. That ball of energy. Like my my version of putting out in the universe is just bitch about it constantly. And (laughs) eventually, eventually someone will get tired 
I'm just hearing you constantly <laughs> complain. And they're like, fuck it. Here, just just shut up. Five, Here's- <laughs> five minutes. Friday night, seven. That's all you get. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Well, my last question is around success. What will success look like for you? How will you know you have it? When I quit my job. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I being able to do what I do now, like a nine to five, um, and converting that into like a comedy uh, related employment. Employment. Um, I think that would just that would that would be enough to tell me like, okay, this is I've actually I've I've made it because anything beyond this is just extra and um would be amazing to have but um doing something that of course i love doing for uh for, for like a paycheck that supports supports me and like can uh can be enough to really justify quitting that safety net then i i would call that success awesome thank you i'm sure i'm certain that you'll that you'll have that I don't know why I'm certain I just am. <laughs> well, Erin, I appreciate it. And I, and I would, uh, if, if I get it, I would love to come back to you and say, well, you need to tell more people that you, I mean, see, this... you see success in their lives because <laughs> you were, you were on the money. Well, that's what people pay me for <laughs> literally. And, uh, while this show is me not knowing everything, like this is something I'm pretty certain about. Well, cheers to that ball of energy then. Awesome. Let's get the get the sparks out and uh, track down Roy Wood Jr. Let's uh, let's stalk him until. <laughs> I'll find out where he lives. <laughs> Knock on his door. Serve him. Serve him papers that say you have been requested by the ordinance of the universe to uh, <laughs> fulfill this bizarre f- prophecy that I put on a podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This was this was a delight. Awesome. Thanks. This is not advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.